0: I'm so glad you're here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. Clark.com slash ask is where you go to ask me a question. You also can ask your questions off the air, free, talking with a member of our team. That's something we've been doing for 25 years. And if you go on Clark.com, scroll down a little, you'll see the phone number and hours each weekday for free off-the-air advice. We provide free off-the-air advice a little bit more than 40 hours each week. Coming up in just a few minutes, there's a new special warning for you about dealing with full commission stockbrokers, and this is something you've got to be warned on, and if you need to, make a change now. And coming up yet later... Vaping has become very popular, and I want to talk about when vaping can be a good thing for you and when it can be a very bad thing. In the past, I have talked about Wish and Geek and AliExpress. In fact, Wish and Geek are, I think, common ownership, AliExpress is a service of the big uh, Chinese version of Amazon, Alibaba. And these sites, AliExpress, Wish, and Geek, sell things at ridiculous prices. I should pull up one of them right now. Let's go to Wish and see what they've got going on this second. So these are sellers outside the United States often in China or elsewhere in Asia, and they sell an incredible variety of things for typically $1 to $3, many of them with free shipping, and they sell things that are more sophisticated items at crazy cheap prices, such as smart watches for, here's a Bluetooth smart watch for Android for seven dollars, <laughs> seriously, seven dollars, and I mean that's that's silly, ridiculous, and really cheap thing prices on women's cosmetics and uh, so many different kinds of categories that they sell very, very inexpensively. But when you order from these sites, you may wait six weeks before the items show up. Could be longer, could be shorter, but measure it in weeks. This is no two-day delivery kind of thing. But these sites are growing by leaps and bounds in the United States. And Wish probably the most, AliExpress probably next, and then Geek following that. There is no customer Service after the sale with any of these. But again, you're buying things at prices that are crazy low. Clothing. Uh, I remember once I bought a winter jacket from Wish, and the sizes are ridiculous. I had to buy a 5XL. I wear a, a US medium usually, but in the sizing from China, I had to buy a 5XL. And it was still a little tight. And I got this thick winter coat for $15. That was shipping included. The only problem was the zipper broke in one season. So it turned out it was too expensive at $15. But Amazon, feeling the heat, feeling the threat, has now responded with an answer to Wish Geek and AliExpress. And Amazon is now offering a what they call their 10 and under collection. You do not have to be a Prime member to shop in it. You don't pay shipping charges, even if you're not a Prime member. And a lot of clothing and accessories in it. But they're divided into a lot of women's clothing, electronics, And then a variety of other items that are less significant in the 10 and under store. But it's basically their counterattack to people buying all this stuff from the discount Asian sites. So it's something that I've been looking at. You should check it out if you are a bargain hunter and see if you can find a real deal. Jason joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jason. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Jason. So you are teaching a one-year-old how to save money. That's very impressive. Yes.
1: I don't want him to make the same mistakes I did financially, so I'm trying to get him on the right path at an early
0: age. All right. So how can I be of service with that?
1: I opened a savings account through my credit union. And uh, it's just a savings account, and he has about $1,200 in it. And 1200 I try and put $100 every month into his uh, savings.
0: That's fantastic. Uh,
1: my question, more or less, is should I try and put that into CDs using a laddering platform, or should I put into an IRA form? Because this is money that he's not going to touch. This is for him when he becomes an adult and then he can hopefully save it or do whatever he needs to do with it for college or something.
0: Okay, great questions. First of all, what's the credit union paying you on the savings? It's just your
1: basic, normal savings account, Clark. I don't think the interest is very high at all. Maybe I get $0.02 or $0.03 every quarter or something.
0: So basically they're paying nothing. Yes. All right. So we got several things to discuss. One, I love the way you're thinking about the IRA, but you can't open an IRA for a one-year-old. Okay. But you could do this. You could open a Roth IRA. Are you funding a Roth IRA for yourself?
2: Um,
1: I am in a way. I guess I have like a 457b. That's a Roth. Through my employer, if that's the same thing. All
0: right, so here's what I'd like you to do in addition to that. I'd like you to open a Roth IRA that is your Roth IRA. Right. And name your one-year-old as your beneficiary. Okay. So if you were to to, uh, die younger than you'd hope, your one-year-old would be the one who would inherit that Roth. Okay. You also with a Roth at any time for any reason can withdraw your contributions, not your earnings, but your contributions. Right. So you could benefit both of you, even if you live a full normal lifespan in this way. Okay. You open the Roth, you put money in it that you right now have been putting in your son's own savings account, and you have this Roth, and you know how much you will put in at each year, $1,200 each year. When your son reaches adulthood and there's something that you feel is fine for your son to be doing. Right. You can withdraw as much of your contributions as you want at any time and give them to him. But all the earnings that the Roth has had over the years will remain as yours and will continue to grow tax-free till you retire. All right. So it's the it's the most efficient way to do this, especially because you're sacrificing to save $1,200 a year that you're earning like nothing on. You right. put money in a Roth, like if you put it in Vanguard, you could put 1000 in there and open a target retirement fund close to the year you're planning to retire, let's say. Okay. And you put that same 1200 in there, and over the next 17 years – or if you wait till child's twenty one, next twenty years, you can let that money really grow and you keep the growth and as much of the as the original money you put in you can give to him. All right. That would be Sounds the perfect good. way to do this. And it keeps control if you're worried that your child's not mature enough at what would normally be considered to be adulthood and you want to wait a little while You can wait and give it to them later. All right. So that's what I would do. And the credit union thing with the very low savings rate, that's not appropriate for what you're trying to do for your child. Gotcha. So if you go to Clark.com, look at my investment guide, you'll see how to open one of these Vanguard accounts. And I just do that and do that like clockwork. Eva's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Eva. Hi, good afternoon. How you doing? Fine, thank you. So, Eva, you want to talk about a Chromebook. And yes. do I love the newest generation of Chromebooks? Mm. Fantastic. In fact, my family that's an all-Apple family except for me, they are all jealous of my new touchscreen Chromebook. Oh, interesting. That is just Phenomenal! It does, um, it does Android apps, and has the Chrome browser, and is touchscreen, mm. and has phenomenal sound in it, mm. and it's really thin, giant screen, and it cost me two hundred ninety nine dollars. Oh. So the Chromebooks are getting to be the absolutely superior machine for computing and web surfing. Mm-hmm. But you didn't want to talk about buying one, did
2: you? (laughs) No, I have one already. Okay. So I listed about 10 uh, websites, and if you can tell me which is a good one to use on dedicated uh, Chromebook. In the past, you mentioned banks, financial institutions, they are a good one to use. And first of all, I I created my own uh, email address but then I never use this. I get in, and I, I, I get in as a guest. Do you think it's a first good protection?
0: What a great question. So on a Chromebook, you can either go into a, like a closed window based on a Gmail email address, or you can just browse as guest. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a lot of conversation that people that are really technical have thrown my way about this and I've had two answers that have been prominent. One is doing just what you said, that when you're going to financial sites that you go as a guest. Mm -hmm. The other that I thought was a really great suggestion is that you have a separate Gmail account Mm -hmm. that is just for using your financial computer.
2: Yes. I created then, even though I created completely separate ID, uh, I still do not use. I further use as uh, as a guest. Do you think it's a further protection? So double protection?
0: I don't know. Uh. You know, because because I'm I'm I know enough about tech just to be dangerous. So in this area, I've had to really defer to the guidance and and opinions of people who are experts and technical support and security and i would say that you're doing that either of the two things you could do on that chromebook are perfect either uh, browse as guest or using that unique email address that you're Mm -hmm. only using for that chromebook and that you only use it for banks brokerage bill pay yes so i am
2: using both so that's that's good, isn't it?
0: It sounds it sounds like a really clever idea, smart okay. idea.
2: So if you can just eat from the mind, uh, just I want to just quickly just tell the uh, website, if you can tell me it's a good place to use with a dedicated Chromebook, such as irs.gov, what do you think?
0: No, I would not. No. I would do I would do anything outside of just dedicated financial sites. Okay. I would do on your other computer.
2: To create, uh, clarify, no immigration site, no passport office, no social security, uh, no DMV, no credit bureau, no annualcreditreport.com. Nope. No medical uh, in- institutions and bills.
0: Nope. Just, okay. just strictly, bank brokerage bill pay. That those those uh, that's the cordoned off stuff. To do on a financial only computer. And the other stuff, even though there's risk involved with them, I still want those done on your regular computer or Chromebook instead of your dedicated financial one. And I am so impressed about how much you've thought this through. Today is an absolute amazing Clark rage about full commission stockbrokers. Please hear me on this. <laughs> Rip-offs. Outrages. It's a clark Regis moment. There is some hideously ugly behavior going on from some of the full commission stock brokerages. Morgan Stanley, UBS, the brokerage arm of Citibank, and a number of others now that are playing rough with you when you have a broker at one of these companies who chooses to leave and maybe they now want to go be a fiduciary where they would only look after your interests, the brokerages are now fighting you on following the person you trust because they don't want to lose the business. This is such a clear warning. You need to be aware if suddenly your broker leaves the firm and nobody will tell you anything, and they start acting really funny with you, it's because they're trying to steal your business from the person you have trusted. It is yet another signal, another clear statement, that you need to push aside any of these full commission stock brokerages Because they are not being a fiduciary to you. They don't put your interests first. They do things that harm your future and your retirement so they can pad their pockets with more of your money, with more fees and bad investment choices. And so don't wait for them to cause havoc for you. Kick them to the curb. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website, and ClarkDeals.com is where you go to save money each and every day. If you're a longtime listener, you may have heard me say that I used to be a cigarette smoker. I smoked at 1.2 packs a day. It's been decades since I smoked. It was hard to quit, and it was something that I hope. Is not a ticking time bomb for my long term health. But I want to emphasize again, it was hard to quit. So there's something I want to make you aware of. If you are a teenager listening to me, or you're the parent or relative of a teenager, a lot of teenagers are vaping, smoking e cigarettes, thinking that somehow they're safe and depending on whose stats you believe somewhere one in ten one in seven teenagers are vaping and there's a new report out from a commission of scientists a public health scientists, that finds that when you are doing e-cigarettes somehow you think it's safer The reality is is that it very likely could be a gateway to getting hooked on regular cigarettes. And the health harm from that is really awful. The cost of your wallet, I mean just buying cigarettes when you're hooked on them is so expensive. It eats me up, well you know how I am about people having money vanish from their lives if I'm in like a convenience store and I see somebody buying cigarette packs and the cashier will say how much the bill is and I'm like shocked I mean it just shocks me because when I smoked forever ago cigarettes were $2.89 a carton 28.9 cents a pack and now, in a lot of jurisdictions, a single pack of cigarettes could break 10 bucks. But forget the money. Let's talk about the health. So, I was talking to someone just this past weekend who's used e cigarettes as a way to go from smoking a pack and a half of regular cigarettes a day to now down to two equivalent a day of e cigarettes. So it has made a big difference as a gateway out of smoking, and so in that respect can be a good thing or a better thing, but the other way is a bad one-way trip, and that is you start with the e-cigarettes and you go on. So please have this conversation with yourself if you're a teenager listening to me, or If you are an adult with a teen in your life, please talk this through with them. You may not even think or know that they're vaping, and they are. That's why you have the conversation. Larry is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Larry. Welcome to this edition of the Newlywed Game. How can I serve you?
3: Well, uh, recently, I think you've given some advice to a newlywed or soon-to-be newlywed about setting up their finances, their checking accounts. And
0: I think you recommended uh, two separate accounts and a third joint account. Depends on the age at which people are getting married. Right.
3: I've always been taught and believe that once you're married, there is no her money and his money, that it's all our money.
0: Right, and that, that is a traditional philosophy that kind of has been turned on its head over the last generation because of the way uh, couples approach money coming into a marriage, that, that society and the culture has changed, which is why if you go way back, and the advice I, I've been on the air 31 years, you go back a long time ago. And what you just said is exactly what I would have said, but I—it's very rare that I say that anymore.
3: Well, would it be better to have uh, two accounts, but both of them be joint accounts, and then uh, say he manages one account and she manages another, but they each have equal access to the to the finances?
0: Hmm, yeah, that would be. That would probably be a layer of complexity that's not necessary. If there's if there's going to be two parallel accounts, there might as well just be one that each have the right and authority to write checks on. But can I explain why the answer I've given has changed over the years and why I talk about his, hers, their, theirs? Sure. All right. So today, average age of marriage is much older than it was when I went on the air a generation and a half ago. And so people are already established in their own lives, typically their own careers, and their own philosophies about money. So I have come to believe that you have a a joint account for the common expenses. And so each has to contribute a certain amount, that the couple agrees on could be based on a ratio of what each earns that goes to paying housing, you know, whether that's rent or mortgage, utilities, cost of transportation, whatever those things are. So there's a household account that every month always has enough money in it, in theory, to pay the ongoing bills. And then that gives some independence past that for each that will come into, if they come into a marriage As adults that have been out working for a while, they're going to have their own habits, their own uh, attitudes about money, and having some separation of some funds reduces the potential sources of friction and tension in the marriage. So you hear me say tend to, could, would. You don't hear me saying this is the only way to do it, do you? No. Because it really does matter, the dynamics uh, within a couple and between a couple, what's the right answer? Mm -hmm. So what is it that's made you think about this and want to bring this up?
3: Well, my wife and I have uh, separate but joint accounts, basically because we do things a little bit differently. (laughs) I like to keep track of every expenditure and keep my... um, Balanced, you know, up-to-date, whereas she's a little bit more careless with that and just checks her bank statements and goes online to see what her balance is.
0: Well, Or so. she could be more like my mom was when my mom was living. My mom thought that you had money as long as you had checks left. <laughs> could be worse. Right? right. So if this is a way—you just described to me a scenario where you would feel really frustrated— with your money habits being so different than hers, if everything was all in one account. So if that system works for you, having these parallel play kind of accounts that you each can use, but one's her principal responsibility and one's yours, that's fine with me. The most important thing is for a couple to find their relationship with money being worked out in a way that does not bring tension or disagreement into the marriage as much as you can.
3: Right. And one, one other thing was that, you know, if you do have a separate account, uh, it could lead to other problems where uh, they might not share their information with each other.
0: And, and, yeah, and that's referred to in the lingo of our trade as financial infidelity. And there are people who believe that financial infidelity— could be more harmful to the trust in a relationship than traditional infidelity so being honest with each other and communicating with each other regardless of how you handle money is core and key to keeping that trust and building that love over the years ryan is with us on the clark howard show hello ryan hey how you doing clark great thank you ryan you want to talk about business credit cards and personal credit cards right Yes, correct. What's the story? So I have,
4: I have a growing business, so I wanted to, to help out with cash flow, get a uh, personal credit card, and we also got a business credit card at the same time. Uh, they are bigger amounts than I got before as far as my previous credit cards. So right now I have a total of four that I help out, obviously, my personal bills, and then uh, help out with cash flow for the business. But now it's to a point to where it's like it's kind of getting a little bit overwhelming managing all the accounts and the money that comes in and out and all that type of stuff. Just want to see if you have any recommendations on how to how to keep everything in line and and kind of keep it a little bit easier for me
0: to manage. Right. So what I do, because I operate my own company, is I have, they're all personal cards. I don't carry any business cards, but they are segregated by purpose. So I have personal cards that are only used for personal things, and then I have the personal cards that are used only for business activity. So I'm yes, able to sir. eliminate a lot of accounting headaches by having my personal ones that just I use. You don't have to worry that much about what you, you know, how you use those and all that other than being careful of not spending too much. And then with the ones that you would dedicate to your business, if you have, let's say, two of those, then you've got an easy ability to track business expenses because the only thing that would ever be on those are expenses for your business. Do you run a gotcha. balance or do you pay in full each month?
4: So I, ha- I have two cards that now um, charge the APR, so I keep those at, at zero balance. And then now the two other, um, I got a capital, or I got a two credit cards that don't have a, um, a balance on it, so I'm going to probably keep like a 20 to 30% on those, and those have a balance of 10000 and 12000 no 13000 as far as the credit limit.
0: Okay, so I had trouble following that. What are you doing with those two? You said those you started to so say capital used, one for one of them, it sounded like.
4: Yeah, that one's the personal one. So I use, I mean, I maybe 5% on personal and then everything else is for my business. I really don't do anything personally on, on main of the cards. And then for the, the other one, strictly business, that one's a, um, a business card. And yeah. that one's obviously 100% in the business.
0: Well, you said keeping track. Did you mean how to do it for accounting purposes?
4: My CPA told me kind of exactly what you said, that so that makes a lot more sense because I do have at least the three cards. they use somewhat personal, like 5% personal and the rest uh, with the business, and then just tra- keeping up with the transactions and statements and stuff, that's kind of been overwhelming. Yeah, so that's I why like, I, I would completely,
0: uh, if your accountant said the same general thing, then, yeah, you definitely want to segregate, and personal cards are only for personal things, and business cards are are only for business things. Period. Gotcha. And then the accounting uh, that right now is a headache and keeping track of it and all that. You eliminate all that, and then it True. gives you the okay. ability. How much volume are you running through on cards each month for your business? I didn't quite follow that.
4: Probably around twenty to
0: twenty-five. Twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars a month. So you need to go see the world because you got enough charge volume if you like travel. You're going to be able to use travel reward cards and earn massive free travel just over a volume of two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollars a year. Okay. And so I would do a two for here. I would have cards that are segregated just for business, even if you have to pay an annual fee on them to get the huge bonus miles, the huge reward points. You're able to do the cash flow you need for your business, and you're going to earn all those great rewards. Howard is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Howard. Hey, Howard. You got such a great name. That's awesome. <laughs> so, you got a question for me about your home.
1: I got a question generally about homeowners insurance. Okay. Um, uh, years ago, there was a book written, maybe about Ralph Nader or something like that, that helped, helped the consumer. Um, understand the key points of what should be insured and how to be insured and and those kind of things. Because when you go to the insurance agent, he's representing himself, and I'm limited to my my knowledge. And so where can I find out more on making sure I do a good job at having homeowners insurance?
0: So Consumer Reports has done a write-up on what are the elements that you want to have as part of a homeowner's insurance policy. But I'm going to hit you with the Clark report on this, what okay. What I'm concerned about. Okay, I want you to take the highest deductible on your homeowner's insurance. That if you, Do you have a mortgage on your home?
1: Uh, that's a yes and no. I, I have a
3: couple of them.
0: All right, so... so uh, the highest that your mortgage lender will permit you to have, which may be okay, dollars uh, 5,000, $5, whatever, because okay. your homeowners insurance should only be used in the event of a catastrophic loss. Number okay. one mistake people make is they make small claims against homeowners insurance, get a, a mark against them on the uh, insurance industry database. And then you may see a big surcharge in your premiums for a number of years, and no one else will touch you as an insured. So insurance on a home should only be used for something giant.
1: In the state of Texas, in the north area, we have hailstorms. Right.
0: I'm going to stun you. I want you, if it's a small claim, I want you to absorb it instead of doing it against your homeowners. You're going to get a lower premium for taking the higher deductible. Yes. And you're going to keep yourself out of that bad boy list the insurance industry maintains. Okay. All right. Next thing though, do you have? uh, You said you got a house without a mortgage. You got one without a with a mortgage. So you've got some assets there, right? A couple. All right. So you've got some assets in your life. You have a big need for liability insurance. Yes, sir. In the event that somebody says, you did something wrong, and they're going to come eat you up. So be very generous in the coverages you buy for liability. And if you've got a lot of money, I want you to buy on top of that something known as an umbrella policy. Okay. And an umbrella sits on top in the event that something really bad happened, that somebody really came after you, like... For a car wreck, or somebody gets hurt at your property or whatever, that the umbrella sits on top of all that and protects and preserves your assets. So those are the things that are really important to me. But if you want to look item by item, coverage level by coverage level, I think that part of Consumer Reports on uh, what homeowners insurance should include is available free to non-subscribers. If you do have to pay for one-time use, though, and you want to be very meticulous, that would be worth doing at ConsumerReports.org. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews.